Welcome to The Accountant Quits, brought to you by Request Finance, an all-in-one platform for crypto organizations and freelancers to easily manage and track their invoices, salaries, and expenses in a compliant way. On this podcast, we discuss how blockchain will impact the accounting profession and how accountants should prepare themselves for the future of work. My name's Umar, your host, and even if some might refer to me as the accountant gone rogue, my job is to provide you with the blockchain knowledge you need that will be relevant for the accounting industry as a whole. Welcome to episode 28, where we speak accounting for DeFi. The growth of financial instruments powered by DeFi is inevitable. DeFi exacerbates the benefits of decentralization. Faster, more secure and transparent, and by getting rid of the middlemen and instead using smart contracts, the cherry on the cake is that you get to enjoy higher returns than traditional finance. But if the time for DeFi has come, the accounting bodies are still in their starting block. No pun intended. One firm that has gained traction and made a name for itself as the leading crypto accounting firm in the UK is Minor Accountants. And today I have the pleasure to speak to its founder, Joe David, who's been devoting his working hours to provide much-needed answers to crypto accounting. In this episode, you will learn how to account for lending and borrowing into DeFi protocols, accounting considerations for liquidity mining and yield farming, wrap tokens and their accounting implications, taking the example of wrap Bitcoin, challenges clients face accounting for DeFi, where additional guidance is required for accounting not to become a bottleneck for DeFi adoption and much more. If you've been looking for answers on DeFi accounting, you've come to the right place. Joe, welcome to the show. I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to our conversation today. <laughs> yeah, hi, Uma. Good to speak to you again. And yeah, hopefully you can live up to that wonderful intro. Thank you. <laughs> I always like to start by asking the guests if could you share a bit of your personal background, how you became interested with blockchain and crypto, and how that led to you founding Minor Accountants. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, you know, I always tried to, to take a slightly different path, if you like, to the traditional accounting you know, firm owner or, you know, accounting, accounting individual. So, you know, I, I didn't actually finish school, didn't go to university and kind of didn't really have a direction. And, you know, a lot of people who uh, run successful businesses, you know, they talk about always being entrepreneurial, always being, you know, interested in business. And I, I absolutely wasn't that way inclined at all. You know, before I was, before I started working in companies around when I was about 20, I didn't really have a vision or a plan for my life whatsoever. So I kind of fell into accounting, but I, I really liked what accounting was about. I really liked the power of, of an accountant for a business, but what I didn't like was the traditional method for, of being an accountant and what everybody said you should be. So I kind of early on felt like I wanted to try and do it differently. And, and you know, I was doubted by a lot of people because I didn't have a university degree and all these sorts of things. And so that kind of spurred me on. And and as I started growing in, in the industry, I, I just really thought there's, there's such a gap here for someone to be, and I'm going to use the word normal. <laughs> and, you know, it just feels like a lot of accountants were robots and, and kind of did what they were, you know, what the client was expecting of them in terms of VAT returns and, and all those sorts of things. But nobody seemed to ask, you know, questions around how people were doing, what their life plans were, how their business might help them get there and, and all those sorts of things. So, so that's where it kind of started, if you like, was trying to think, 
how can we disrupt this industry and how can we make this a much kind of a more collaborative space rather than a transactional space? And, and actually, I just stumbled across my first crypto client about three and a half years ago through a mutual contact who said, look, I've got a friend who's got a tech business and, you know, we think you should, you should work with them. And that's where the, the crypto journey started. So, yeah, it kind of it fell into me rather than me finding it, if you know what I mean. But, but once that happened, the light bulb switched on and, and I knew this was if there was ever a space to, to get into to disrupt an industry, to disrupt how traditional business models work, to dis- disrupt how, how traditional finance works, this was it. So it kind of immediately felt this was the place for me to be in. And there's something that, I mean, I love your story and I follow you on Twitter and something I really like about what you do is you're really putting yourself out there and asking people to always like come up with accounting, crypto accounting questions. And you're always trying to provide answers for that. Like it's not easy because the IFRS or the US GAAP does not offer like much guidance on accounting for crypto. And today we're going to speak about DeFi. It's even worse Mm. there. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I totally agree. And then, you know, I tried to engage conversation because I think, you know, anyone, if you go to anyone in this space, accounting, legal, you know, anything like that, and they tell you they know all the answers to all your questions, and it doesn't matter how many questions you ask because they'll know the answers, they're lying. Because it's physically impossible in this sort of space to know everything about everything, if you know what I mean. So in a way, you know, putting stuff like that on Twitter also helps me because, I sometimes hear from people that are in different, you know, situations that I may not have seen before. So it's kind of that two thing where I can help other people, but maybe also I'll get some some opportunity to see things that I haven't seen before. I want to start with uh, speaking about the adoption of uh, DeFi from institutions. So we're recording this episode on the 29th March 2022, and two years ago, COVID had just happened. And at that time, the total value locked in DeFi protocol stood at $540 million. Today, two years later, the total value locked is at $227 billion US dollars. Now, there's still a long road to go, but I feel it's just a matter of time before DeFi is actually just called finance. Can we start by this shift from CFI or centralized finance to DeFi and why you see more and more institutions moving into DeFi? Yeah, I think I think it comes down to being being able to control your your own destiny. You know, that I think we've seen over the last few years, especially what you know governments have the power to do if they're compelled to do so. And I'm not, you know, we're not going to get into today whether what governments around the world have done over the last few years is right or wrong. But the point still stands that ultimately they have the control. We thought we had the control, but actually, you know, we never really, really did. And, and I think it's similar now, again, with, with what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. And again, we're not going to get into the politics of what's happened. But again, Russian billionaires being sanctioned and money frozen. And, and what crypto offers is that, and DeFi especially, is that, is that freedom, if you like, financial freedom to be able to make decisions that are right for you and be able to make, make kind of, you know, kind of financial decisions for yourself or your business without, without, you know, a third party to verify it. And I think that is the key difference with, with what CFI offers and, and what DeFi offers, because, you know, no matter what CFI platforms say, they are centralized, hence, you know, hence the name. And they do have, a, you know, a third party that has to be in the middle that, that has to kind of, you know, you know, transact these these deals and things like that. So to be able to move to DeFi, I think it gives much more flexibility and it also gives much better 
you know, opportunities for, for returns and much better way for businesses to interact with each other as well, I think. So for me, that's the key thing is being able to interact freely with businesses around the globe. In the introduction, I said that, so today we'll speak a bit about the accounting treatment for decentralized lending, yield farming, liquidity mining. Now, before we dive into these questions, usually I say this at the end of the episode, nothing in this episode today should be construed as accounting advice. Like I said, the IFRS and the US GAAP has not offered much guidance so far. And today we're having an open discussion about, and it will be Joe's subjective opinion about how decentralized lending and yield farming like should be accounted for. So let's start with a bit decentralized lending, one of the key tenants of DeFi. I'm going to stick to lending. We could also do borrowing, but let's say if a company holds stable coins or any other crypto like Ethereum and wants to supply those assets to a decentralized lending protocol like Compound and start earning interest in return. So on Compound, when we supply Ethereum, in return, we receive CETH, which essentially represents the claim on your assets. This means that the nature of your assets have changed and you'd have to de-recognize your intangibles. In terms of bookkeeping, what should entities know about the change in nature from Ethereum to CETH and the fact that now you can also freely trade this in a secondary market? Yeah, thanks for the, like, this is generally, this is an opinion based on information and data available and speaking to many, many, many different, different crypto clients. But, you know, there is definitely much more room for clear guidance here. But so ultimately, from my perspective, you know, there's a real kind of challenge and a real kind of dilemma in a way between what, you know, I can see, and we don't do a lot in America, but what I see the US gap kind of pointing US entities towards and what, what I actually see is a much more kind of sensible and practical approach for how crypto should be should be adopted and on a on a business balance sheet so so from my perspective you know an intangible is something that is put on a balance sheet in order to see kind of passive income growth i would say you know kind of so you're going to buy some bitcoin and that's because you want to leave it there and you want to see it go up in value so that you know the the holding that you've got there is, is increased by doing very probably very little with that that particular token but for me, a lot of businesses are not doing that. In fact, I would say the majority of businesses we deal with are not buying Bitcoin, leaving it on their balance sheet, forgetting about it and having a look at it again in a year's time when they produce their accounts to see to see where it's got to. You know, a lot of people are actively using cryptocurrencies and, you know, the like to to benefit their business on a daily basis. That might be to make payments to people. That might be to, like you say, get some passive income through DeFi. So investing it on products such as Compound and Aave and Curve and things like that. So for me, there's a very big difference between something you're going to use actively and something that you're going to use kind of passively, if you like. So, so for me, if you're using crypto for day-to-day business purposes, whether that is, you know, you're, you're using it to make payments, whether that is you're actively kind of trading it on the market, whether that's putting it through through DeFi protocols. For me, I feel that fits more into, you know, somewhere like an IAS2, so a kind of stocks type area, if you like, because it's effectively something you're using in your day-to-day to grow your business. In terms of how that would then look, this again, you know, kind of flips the question itself. So, if you are going down the route of intangibles and then you kind of, you use that Ethereum to put on compound and you get CE, then 
I think at that point you would have to de-recognize an intangible and you would then have to recognize that in kind of the current assets, if you like, kind of section of the balance sheet. Naturally, I think you would have to. From my perspective, if, if you were already classifying it under kind of current assets under IS2, something like that, then I don't think there's a huge amount of accounting that needs to be doing because the CETH is effectively an IOU for the real ETH in inverted commas. And I appreciate that CETH can be traded and you know all these sorts of things. But but ultimately that's what it is. You put in that system, if you put it in Aave, you get A ETH, you know, they're just giving you a token representation of what you've given to them. So I think if you're already classifying it under current assets, you're already classifying it in an IS2 perspective. I don't think there's a great amount of accounting that needs to be done because they both hold a very similar value. I think the main bit of accounting would be if you are already classifying as intangibles, then absolutely you would need to de-recognize that and put that through, you know, kind of IS2 or current assets or somewhere like that. Moving on to the other part, which is liquidity mining and yield farming. So for people who are not very familiar with this, in the previous episode, we gave an intro into DeFi. So if you're not very familiar with liquidity mining and yield farming, please do check that episode first. But if we speak about providing liquidity, so providing liquidity allows you to earn fees proportional to your share in that liquidity pool. And in return, you receive LP tokens and you can also use those LP tokens to receive like other tokens or what we say to, to yield farm. I want to ask you if you've encountered any yield farming scenarios so far with uh, your clients and what challenges or any considerations it gives rise in terms of accounting or maybe the lack of guidance there is even a barrier to like adopt like these such DeFi strategies. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. You know, a lot of firms will take that approach. A lot of firms will take the approach of there isn't enough guidance. Therefore, I can't give an accurate picture and therefore can't possibly kind of transact in this space because if I do, I'm not going to be able to give a true and fair representation of my accounts, which are the director of a business. That's what I've got to do, right? So uh, it's absolutely something that is slowing it down. I do think in the same point though, I do think that for a lot of business owners now, or especially within the crypto sphere, they are now taking the approach, well, if you're not going to put guidance out there, I'm going to have to do my absolute best to do the right thing with the information that's in front of me. And if you can't put anything else out there, what else can I do? So we have both sides of that of that conversation that we, we deal with quite a lot. A few times for a few crypto projects, we've actually spoken to clients of theirs or, or supporters of theirs that, that really like the protocol, but are concerned about putting their funds or accepting funds in the native token of that project. So we do we do come across those challenges. I think I think you've got to take an approach that's right for your business and a risk approach that's right for you and your business. And if you if you understand what you're going into and you're able to kind of reflect that accordingly in accounts and, and make them as close to a true and fair representation as you can, you know, then then absolutely fine. But I do totally understand the concerns. And and my call is just we've got to get more guidance on this. We've got to know what the we've got to get some rules and they've got to speak to industry professionals. They've got to speak to, you know, Web3 CFOs, they've got to speak to accountants like us, they've got to speak to crypto native projects because it's gonna it will definitely, you know, slow down adoption. So yeah, I think there's a lot of concerns. We there is no official note from what I can see at the moment, that is the right note to put into your accounts to reflect what you're doing. So again, I think just using the right the right kind of 
note, you know, within the accounts just to discuss, again, depending on the, the size and how material it is, putting some notes in there just to kind of, as a bit of a disclaimer, maybe, and, and maybe even where you took valuations from and, and how that's worked, maybe that's the answer. But at the moment, it's, it's kind of do your best and, you know, answer any questions as they come. I also want to mention that I had reached out to like other accounting experts for the subject, like to come and speak about accounting for DeFi, but only you accepted to come on the show. So I admire like you being brave to come because it's not like easy topics. It's very complex topics to explain and to speak of. So we spoke of liquidity mining. We touched on decentralized lending. I want to touch a little bit on RAP tokens. So for people who are not very familiar with wrapped tokens, so wrapped token is essentially a token that represents a crypto from another blockchain that you can use to help bridge onto other blockchains. I'll give you an example. You have wrapped Bitcoin. Wrapped Bitcoin is an ERC-20 token that represents Bitcoin on the Ethereum blockchain. And it enables Bitcoin holders to not only hodl, and instead now they can actually leverage their Bitcoin into DeFi apps without actually having to sell their Bitcoin. I want to ask you if someone is holding Bitcoin and bridges those to Ethereum and they receive wrapped Bitcoin, what are the accounting implications again in terms of classification? I feel it's going to be a bit the same of how you explained it before. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I think, you know, like you say, it's, you know, I've come on today to talk as much as I can about how I see the treatment of a lot of these things and genuinely you know, some some comments on, you know, on people's thoughts on this would be fantastic because we can all have different opinions and debate those. And, and I think that's fantastic. So that's the first thing to say. Again, how do you classify a wrapped Bitcoin, which is a token in itself and tradable in itself against Bitcoin, which again, is a token in itself. And Ultimately, they're the same thing in a sense that, you know, they represent the same physical asset, not physical asset, but digital asset, and they represent the same value. I, I don't know this for a fact because I've never really looked at the two charts, but I'm assuming they are pegged together 100% of the time, or at least they should be. So in that sense, you know, it, it really depends. I personally would would create a transaction that, that reflects a holding in wrapped Bitcoin instead of a holding in Bitcoin if you have if you have changed from Bitcoin to wrapped Bitcoin, because I think that's the right thing to do. I can understand people saying, why would I bother when they're the same thing? But from my perspective, they're not. They're two different tokens. Yes, they might be pegged together. Yes, they might have the same price, but but ultimately they are two different tokens that you can do two very different things with. Yeah, I personally think that you should represent those separately, whether that's representing them as separate intangibles or whether that's representing them as separate kind of, you know, in the IS2, we talked about a couple of times, representing them in, in that as separate things. I think that's the right way to do it, but I can understand the other argument as well. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Moving on to airdrops. So airdrops are quite popular in the crypto sphere. For people who are not familiar, an airdrop is a distribution of a crypto token, usually happens for free to numerous wallet addresses. Recent one that happened, there was ENS, the Ethereum name service. The other upcoming ones, like apparently will be for example, like crypto, it can have a big community, but not a token yet. One of the examples I can think of right now is Arbitrum and Optimism, uh, the layer twos on Ethereum. So speaking of airdrops, this creates actually a taxable event on the date of receipts of the tokens and of course a tax liability. In terms of accounting though, 
how should these be accounted in the financial? Are these recorded as income? So, yeah, from, again, my opinion, yes, they are income and they should be recorded as such and, and therefore they would be taxed as such. Having said that, in the UK, and there's mainly rules around individuals on this rather than companies, in the UK, for example, just because the tax authorities like to complicate things, they are suggesting that if you don't do anything in order to receive that, and therefore, I mean, I don't know the exact answer around this, but I'm going to use the ape coin airdrop as an example here. You held their, you know, board Ape Club NFTs, and randomly you received an ape coin airdrop, and that wasn't for because you did anything particular do you know what i mean you didn't have to trade on their system 20 times and then if you traded 20 times you got you know an airdrop or you know you didn't have to market their thing and retweet their tweet 15 times in order to get an airdrop right so from my perspective something that doesn't you haven't done anything for you've just received as a reward if you like for holding in the uk we're actually saying at the moment that that isn't a taxable event and that isn't a taxable receipt of that airdrop. So in that sense, you would have to classify it separately. I would still classify it as, as income from a PL perspective because I think that's the right the right thing to do. But then I think it would be added back on a tax return or deducted off, should I say, because if we're in the case of the, you know, the kind of you didn't do anything and you got it for not for not doing anything. So yeah, it's a little bit of a difficult one because I don't know the rules in, in the US for how that works. It might be that in the US, it's a straight up taxable event regardless. But in the UK, there are these quirks and nuances around around them being non-taxable. And yeah, in terms of accounting, it makes sense to be recorded as, in, as income. I don't see any other way. It, no, I, I agree. And the, the, only, the only thing that would, that would sh- not even change that, but the only thing that would you know, change how you then maybe reflect that in a, in a tax return or, you know, the company tax return is that maybe it needs to be deducted off from a profit perspective. But yeah, it definitely has to go in, in income. Speaking of the challenges that you see clients facing with DeFi, because you're deep into this space, at the moment, what are some of the greatest challenges for clients to tap? And I mean, we've been speaking about the lack of guidance for accounting. This is a big one. Are there any other challenges that you see clients facing? Yeah, I think, again, if we split the clients out from these native projects that understand crypto to, to maybe businesses that aren't as, as familiar with crypto, I think the biggest challenge is, um, is education. I think, you know, people don't understand enough about all of these things. And, you know, crypto is complicated, but it's complicated because, like, it's not complicated for, an, for no reason. It's complicated because by making it, uh, you know, this kind of web of different things, it allows it to have significantly more utilities and and wrapped bitcoin is an example right you know you talk to a kind of normal business owner about bitcoin and wrapped bitcoin they're going to be thinking what are you talking about you know why are you why are you saying these things to me right but actually from a crypto perspective we understand why we've got wrapped bitcoin because it means we can use it on the ethereum blockchain right so it, it's not kind of complicated sake but it is difficult to understand and i think a lack of education is really challenging not just businesses but i think also authorities because that's part of the reason why the guidance isn't where we want it to be, I think, because, you know, authorities can't get their head around where it needs to be and what it, and they don't understand the intricacies. And that's why I said earlier that, you know, they need to be getting, you know, business owners, crypto, crypto people, you know, some of the big, you know, kind of exchanges in the room, you know, 
crypto web three CFOs we've already talked about, you know, these are the people that need to be in the room with regulators and with, you know, with with people to put guidance together because it's a minefield. So I think education is probably the biggest challenge. And then after that, it will be guidance on accounting and therefore not quite understanding how they're going to transact it and therefore not doing it through fear of it not working, if that makes sense, or not being able to explain it to their accountant, you know, and therefore their accountant not understanding it and then therefore we're getting misrepresented. So, but all of those things really in my eyes tie back to education. Yeah, I completely agree. We spoke no. a bit about the challenges. Let's speak a bit about some tools that maybe can make our lives easier. Tools like Zapper, I love Zapper. It provides you with current and not historical data of your closing positions into various DeFi protocols. But when we have to prepare financials at year end, we need to be able to capture like the closing position and interest accrued at a specific date. Of course, we can get those information from the blockchain, but let's say convert that and make it more institutional grade. Have you come across any other tools that entities can use to maybe convert those on-chain data to something more institution grade for to prepare their financials? Yeah, so a couple of them, which I'm sure you know well, and you know one in particular you've had you've had on this on this podcast itself. But you know, Cryptio is one of those tools that we use across a multiple of our clients because it it does exactly what we need it to do in terms of pulling all that historical data, you know, bringing through the cost basis of each transaction so that we can you know we can transact it properly, and and then allowing us to post those transactions into the accounting software we use in order to represent it, you know, kind of fair way. So that's, you know, that's definitely one. You know, another one we started working with recently is, is Crypto Worth. They're an American, I think a Canadian actually, Canadian-based firm, who are doing a very similar thing to, to Crypto by offering, you know, businesses the ability to, to download, you know, historical data and effectively post that into accounting system once they've classified it and all those bits and pieces. You know, there are tools out there, you know, tools, you know, like Request, which we've spoken about, you know, to be able to raise invoices on the blockchain, I think is just so powerful. It's unbelievable. So that, you know, that's another tool which really helps the bookkeeping side, because if you do a transaction, the native transaction on the blockchain, it's going to be significantly easier to reconcile that at a later date. So, you know, there are some of the main tools, I would say, at the moment that we would go to pull data. Could you repeat the name of the second company? You mentioned the Canadian company. Yeah, yeah, Crypto Worth, W-O-R-T-H. All right, got it. Cool. I'll check it out. Before we continue, we'll take a quick commercial break from our sponsor. As a freelancer, Request Finance has been a game changer in how I invoice my clients and receive stable coins and crypto directly in my wallet. Previously, I would be preparing my invoice in a spreadsheet, copy and paste my wallet address and save it as a PDF. My client would have to manually pay my invoice and reconciling those transactions was a tedious task for me. Now with Request Finance, I can create professional looking invoices in the currency of my choice, whether a local currency like USD or Euro and be paid in crypto. Request Finance integrates with more than 10 blockchains, including Polygon, Phantom, Near Protocol, and their dashboard allows me to quickly see the status and history of all invoices. The manual reconciliation days is now over. Also, there's no subscription fee to their platform. It's completely free if you're the issuer, 
and the payer is only charged a 0.1% fee on the amount of your invoice and capped at $2 per invoice. Yeah, it's ridiculously cheap. And Request Finance is not just for freelancers. Leading blockchain projects like The Sandbox, Aave, The Graph, MakerDAO are also using their platform to manage their payments, payroll, expenses and accounting. But hey, don't take my word for it. Try it out for yourself. Create your first immutable crypto invoice now by visiting request.finance and for a limited period of time, you can earn $10 in REC tokens when you sign up using promo link at theaccountantquits.com slash requests. Get paid easily in crypto. Sign up now at theaccountantquits.com slash request. Now, speaking a bit about, I mean, which we touched on, and I was reading the AICPA's guidance for accounting and digital assets. It Basically, when you read the part for stablecoins, it states that over there, it's impossible to provide like a general rules for accounting for stable coins. I mentioned in, in the introduction that accounting is like a conservative industry. And it's, again, I do empathize because it's not easy to come up with like accounting standards for everyone. So given this, do you feel accounting can then be a bottleneck for DeFi adoption by corporates? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've, you know, we've touched on this already and jumped around, but I'm sure on these things, but you know, I 100% think that, you know, the traditional accounting market is a huge bottleneck for adoption of crypto and for and for using crypto and for accepting crypto for payment and, you know, all of these bits and pieces. I think it's a huge bottleneck. And that's why I said earlier, I think, you know, the regulators and, you know, the ACCA and, and other international bodies such as that need to get together and need to get industry professionals around the table, we need to come up with how we're going to transact this stuff. It's not going away. It's becoming bigger and bigger in terms of how businesses are are operating. And, you know, for these guys, and I haven't read it because I tried to read it and it's behind a paywall, which I don't have access to. But, you know, for these guys to say it's impossible, I think is incorrect. I don't think it's impossible. I just don't think they understand how to. And I think there's a huge difference. And impossible means you can't do it ever. And I don't believe that to be true. Do you know what I mean? Impossible is not the answer. The answer is it is definitely possible, but we've got to get around the table with people that know what they're talking about. And that's not a criticism of these guys in this body, but you know, I think for them to say it's impossible sums up where they're at at the moment. I think by impossible, though, they mean like, because it can be varying use cases, if you want, for using stable coins. So each specific use case will have a different accounting treatment. Maybe some would uh, fit under, I don't know, intangible, something would fit under something else. Uh, yeah, I, from- I agree with that. But I, but, but I still think, sorry to jump in, I still think there's a general approach we can take here. I still think there's a general you know, if it's in this bracket, it you know, a bit like a flowchart. Has it? Have you done this? Yes. Okay, we go over here. Have you done that? No. Okay, it falls in this box. You know, it's not my. I guess my point, and I understand that I'm not. You know, I'm not criticizing these guys. I'm just saying that it. We need more people to get around the table together, and and come up with you know a a respectable framework for businesses if we want crypto to be adopted, which the likes of you and I absolutely do. But if the world and, and whatnot, and we want to make crypto more, more accessible, this is the only way that it's going to be able to happen. Given you're based in the UK, I want to touch a bit on the recent guidance by the HMRC. So recently, mm. the UK decided to update its guidance on staking and DeFi lending. 
But one of the contentious points here, and when I read it, is on chargeable gains. So this is what I understand. So each time a cryptocurrency is lent, let's say to a DeFi protocol, it's counted as a disposal event, and hence it's taxable. And this is actually despite the fact that the individual or firm still has full control of their crypto. For example, if someone lent Ethereum in some DeFi protocol and ETH was now at an all-time high a few months ago, so this would now be counted as a disposal at the price that prevailed back then. So that means the person would have to pay like a huge capital gains tax on that Ethereum, even though even like if the price of ETH today is like much lower, which I think is pretty insane because the person still holds that asset. What do you think of like this this new guidance? I'm I'm pretty sure this has received a lot of criticism. Yeah, I've got to be careful too much what I say here because uh, you know this is going to go out publicly, but. You know, the toned down version is I, I just think it's incredible that they've come out with something so out of touch with the reality of what we're doing and practicalities of what we're doing. I think it's mind blowing. They told, I'm going to use the term us, and by us, I mean a group of people that are a tax and an accounting working group within the UK who kind of get together and, and discuss these things and see how we can go forward. So they told us, so a member of that group, they feel they've given more clarity on the situation and that's why they released it and if you want my honest opinion they've done the complete opposite they've caused panic and they've caused they've caused concern they've caused people to be worried that they're going to have larger tax bills than even their portfolio might be and i think it's really i think it was really misguided i think you know as far as we are concerned there was no consultation process there was no you know discussion with you know with industry leaders and, and things like that so you know, we work very closely with Crypto UK, who are kind of the UK's trade body for crypto. You know, they weren't consulted at all. So, yeah, for me, it was it was misguided. I think I think they rushed something out. Again, timing was terrible. They put this out two or three days after the 31st of January tax filing deadline in the UK and then said that it was retrospective as well. So, you know, all these people that had just filed tax returns were now being told that they did it wrong without even knowing that three days later it was going to be wrong. So, yeah, I think it was misguided and I think it definitely needs some review. And, and we are working with, with the relevant people to, to push through some kind of reform on this and some change to, to make it much more relevant to all the activities that are actually occurring. Yeah. And uh... yeah, that was the polite version. <laughs> <laughs> I want to come back now on the minor accountants. So your firm uh, has grown exponentially now, and minor accountants is a crypto accounting only firm. Can you speak a bit about the challenges maybe that you're facing right now to scale and maybe what's on the roadmap for minor accountants for 2022? Yeah. So the biggest challenge we've got is, you know, is, is people and getting people in the business that are able to kind of jump on that that moving treadmill as it were and, and start moving with us because there are not many people you know internationally to be honest that are crypto kind of savvy enough to to kind of jump in and run with us and it's always the challenge of a growing firm right you always kind of push the boundary on how many how many clients or how many customers you can have and how many people or or whatever you need in order to service that and You've never got enough people for the clients that are coming through the door in an industry like this that's growing so far. So our, our biggest challenge is, is people. But then I think the second biggest challenge is the thing we've talked about this whole thing is around that, you know, we are we are doing our absolute best for our clients in, in specific situations that 
you know are new to us or you know new to the to the world and and to try and to try and battle through that is, is difficult so you know they're the two biggest challenges for us but it's an extremely exciting place to be i absolutely love it like crypto is my life just before i came on this i was watching a youtube interview about hex uh, you know another particular token just because i've heard a lot of people talking about it we've got a client that's made a lot of money in it so i thought right let me read up on this let me understand it some more and and what better place to be right where you're in an industry where you have conversations and at the end of the day when you've had those conversations you go i'm actually looking forward now to researching what he's talking about or what she's talking about because i actually love it do you know what i mean and that you can't get better than that and that's the space we're in at the moment that we absolutely love what we do we love supporting clients and we're really excited to grow and yeah we just need people and guidance <laughs> You mentioned that you've, you're also part of the founding team of a new DEX project that is soon going to be released on Avalanche called Swapsicle. Could mm -hmm. you give us a little bit more details about this new DEX project and maybe how it differs from the other DEXs on Avalanche? The prominent, one of the prominent ones is like Credo Joe. Yeah, so um, so there's a couple of guys who bid in crypto, have made money in crypto, you know, over the years through different you know, trading, through passive income, and all these sorts of things, and and they've seen people make money, and they've seen people lose money, and they've seen a lot of kind of rug pulls and and all these sorts of things, and and they came to me with an idea, you know, a kind of a whiteboard idea, if you like, of this decks and how they wanted to be able to give back, and how they wanted to be able to build something that genuinely, truly was for community and built by people within a community right and but the biggest thing they wanted to do was they wanted to build a business they didn't just want to build a crypto project they wanted to build a business and i think that's where you know there are absolutely people out there that go out of their way to scam other people in any industry you're in and yes it's prevalent in crypto but it's out there with wherever you are right but there's also a lot of people in crypto that go out there to do good and unfortunately things turn bad do you know what i mean and that's you know but they're still perceived to be bad people because of the nature of where crypto is so for these guys they came to me and said look we want to make a business we want you to help us make this business you know let's let's kind of do it do it together so so yeah so we're launching we've done our pre-sale we did that still open if you want to check it out but yeah we did we did our pre-sale it's going to, probably going to be open till toward the end of the week probably something like that and then yeah we will be launching hopefully in a couple of weeks We're going to be setting up a foundation setup, so it won't be a, a for-profit entity as such. It will be a, a foundational entity, so therefore there will be, you know, opportunities to put money into charities that that are close to to our heart. But we want to we want to create the Pops token, which is going to be our native token. We want that to be able to, from a governance perspective, to be able to vote on on where where we might deploy money in terms of charitable. But the big thing that we are going to be doing is what's called a feedback loop. So what we're going to be doing is, so the first project we're going to be feedback looping into is one called FIRE, Phoenix Community Capital, and their token is FIRE. So they're a passive income token. And our initial community, if you like, has been built off the back of, of their community. And you know a lot of people have made some very good money with that community. But if you don't build a sustainable business model for all, any of these passive incomes, you're never going to succeed. At some point, new signups will run out and therefore money will run out, right? So what we're doing with them is we're feedbacking into their community a proportion of our fees. So by signing up with us as, a, as our early partner, they will get a proportion of our trading fees back into their community. And what we want to do is do that across blockchain. We want to partner with protocols and therefore support communities 
And by supporting their communities, we can feed back into where they're kind of making their money from or, you know, being successful with. So, yeah, that's the kind of main differences that we want to, and it sounds silly to say this, but we want to be a proper business and we want to make good in the world. And we want to kind of make the name of crypto much better. And that's why they wanted to bring in someone like myself that, you know, understands crypto and understands business and accounting. Our CEO, Tom, he's an accountant as well. He nearly worked for me. And then we decided that bringing him in as a CEO was obstacle. So yeah, I think we just got a great team. We got great people. We're fully docs. We told everybody who we are. You know, we're going to have an office in London. We'll tell people where that office is. Um, you know, people can come and, and turn up at our office if they want to. There's no secrets. There's no, you know, none of that. So what we want to, like say, you know, rambled on a little bit there, but what we want to build is a product that gives back, a product that does right. And, you know, we genuinely do good things for good people. Wow. Exciting days. What a journey you've had, like now today launching a new DEX. By the way, I love the name. Sopsicle is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, cool. Joe, we, I'm looking at the time. Time has passed really fast. So we're coming to the end of the episode. As closing thoughts, maybe to summarize a bit of everything what we spoke of today for all institutions looking to start dabbling into DeFi, but don't really know like where to get started. We spoke a bit of the challenges around the lack of guidance in accounting. Of course, people have to educate themselves. DeFi is complex. But what word of advice would you have to sum up everything of what we spoke of today to those institutions? Yeah, I mean, the, what, the first word I would use, educate yourself, educate your team, you know, educate, you know, if you are interested in crypto, you're interested in blockchain, you're interested in what that can do for your business, go out there and pick and, and learn it because you're not going to be given, you know, on a plate. This is an industry, an evolving industry that, that requires people to, to go out there and understand. That's what we've had to do in our business. You know, we, three years ago, we picked up our first crypto client. We had absolutely no idea what we were going to do with it. Absolutely no idea. But we knew that we wanted to, and we knew that we would go out there. And I've spent the last three years, you know, watching YouTube videos, going on Twitter, you know, all these bits and pieces, just trying to understand. And that's what I would say to people is just go out there and educate, ask questions, speak to people like, you know, yourself, Umar, you know, our team, you know, and other kind of really really kind of pioneering people out there and, and really start to understand what's going on. Because when you start to realize the power of what we've got here, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. So yeah, go out there and educate yourself is what I would say. Beautiful. There's a last question that I always like, like to ask my guests before they go is, do you have a quote or a maxim that you live by? <laughs> do you know what, right? <laughs> I've listened to your podcast and I listen to what people say. And I thought when I come on here, I'm not going to say anything cheesy or, you know, whatever. And the only thing I can, the only one I've got, right, is really cheesy. But it really sums up me and it sums up our business and it sums up what we do and, and what I believe in. And hopefully this is, this word has come across, right? And the word is passion, right? So the, the quote I've got is one person with passion is better than 10 person with, with knowledge, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, I may not be the all singing, all dancing you know, accountant out there that knows every single line of every single IFRS statement, right? That may not be the case. But what you will get with me, and like I say, hopefully this has come across here, is you will get passion and you will get someone that believes in you and wants to help you. And I think that is true. You know, if you can get one person that has that passion, naturally they need to know something about what they're talking about, of course. But, you know, you get one person with that passion 
you go and speak to 10 other people that may have knowledge. If they don't have that passion, you won't get the same experience. And I think that's really important, especially in this space. I love it. Before we go, so if people want to reach out to you, if they want to learn more about Mind Accountants and follow you on social media channels, where should they do so? Yeah, so Minor, our website is minoraccountants.co. So Minor, M-Y-N-A, and then accountants with an S.co. Same handle on, on Twitter. Or my Twitter is at cryptjo091. That's crypt, C-R-Y-P-J-O-091 is, is my handle. And if you want to check out Swapsicle, a little bit of a plug now, we're at Swapsicle Decks on most platforms. and website is presale at the moment is presale.swapsicle.io but it would eventually just be swapsicle.io perfect thanks a lot joe this episode was a lot of fun for me to prepare and it was so much fun today to speak to you about thanks for having me really enjoyed it i would like to thank everyone for listening to this episode you will find all the links of the episode show notes and transcript on the website of the accountant quits at theaccountantquits.com Please note that this content is for general information purposes only and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. If you do know anyone who could benefit from the episode and you care about them, please do share the episode with them. All the episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and by leaving us a review and rating, you will support the channel and all your fellow accountants. In order to be notified each time we release a new episode, do follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn. We hope to have you with us next time. Bye for now.